I know someone that when they were in college thought parking tickets were kind of amusing. They were from a different state. Their car was licensed in a different state. And so each time they got a parking ticket, they just kind of tossed it on the floor because they didn't clean their car very often. And uh, it just was a nice floor mat. And uh, a couple years later, in the mail, came Judgment Day. And it wasn't just the one. It was an accumulation and a fairly significant bill. And one of the things that I look at things like that is that if we're carrying something like that in our past and we can ignore it, we can forget it, we can joke about it, but at some point there comes this addressing of the issue. Um, this last week in, in going to my father's funeral, I'm around my siblings for a, a number of hours and it was long enough to see some traits in them that I didn't particularly like. But the worst of it is, if it's in all three of them, there's a certain knowledge that... <laughs> How did I escape that? No. <laughs> now, I love them and they're great people, but it, it kind of brought to light some things that I'm looking at and... It became an introspective week, so to speak, where you're starting to walk through some things that, you know, it's like you have dealt with major issues, but then the nuances of things, until you take care of those, you're not fully free. Um, you know, just like when, when Charlie was talking about us not being creatures of sin, or habitual sin anymore, I look at things like with my, with my wife, I'm not a wife abuser in the sense of the, the verbal statements, but regularly I make comments that aren't kind, and I have to go back and deal with that, or there's a, a, a hindrance in the health of our relationship. And, and so... You know, you, in a sense, it's like the filth of the day needs to be taken care of so that you can continue on in health together. And, and so even though the mark, I hope, is loving, and you can talk to her about this, whether it is or not, but I hope that the overriding picture is that I'm a loving husband. It speaks life and, and hope and all of that to her, but... There are these moments where very definitely it doesn't come out that way. In fact, it's rooted in selfishness, and then I'm forced to look at those things. That said, I think our relationship with God is much the same way. And so when, when I've been going through things, um, like in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's like, unless you recognize you have a problem, you're never going to get to the place of freedom in Christ, right? Unless you recognize, I need help, and there's only one source that really can help me, and that's the person of Jesus Christ. It's good to have that baby here, by the way. <laughs> good to have you guys back. 
Um, unless I recognize that there is a source of help, that I need help, and that there is a source of help, I'm not going to get to this place of salvation in Christ, right? And, it, and the next one is, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. It's like, unless I understand the depravity of what I've been living in and, and who I am, there's no real chance of me being set free of that. Later in that same passage, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And there's a recognition that we are to take on the nature of Christ and that we are to become a merciful people. We want to receive mercy for him, but we need to become merciful as well. Before we go further, let's look at a couple definitions. This is, these are just simple things that I pulled off of Google. Mercy. Compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. Okay? Pretty good definition, actually. You know, to release someone, to forgive them, even though it's your right to, to exact payment, so to speak. Forgiveness, or forgive. To stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offense, flaw, or mistake. You know, to release them or to just cancel a debt. So those two are, are, are really pretty intermingled, right? Pretty, pretty close together. Um, and looking at that, you know, it, we become a forgiving people. And in a community or a family, that becomes essential, Right? Because we're always saying stupid things that hack someone else off, inappropriately so. And we need to be released from that. They need to be able to release it. But quite honestly, only in the Lord do I find that available for me. Only in the Lord do I find a transformation of heart enough to just release people. Um... Out of Matthew chapter 18, Peter comes to Jesus and says, how many times do I need to forgive my brother? Seven times? How noble of you. Seven times. That's, well, that's quite a bit in a day, right? If you do something to me seven times in a day, I'm still going to be hacked probably. Except that I see this passage and realize I need to, to live different. But... <laughs> Little side note, who is Peter to come ask this? Andrew's the one that, you, you know, you don't hear much about. Peter's, <laughs> anyway, that's, you can chew on that, but I, I'm just saying, I, the guy that probably shouldn't have been asking it was. But Jesus comes back and says 77 times. In other words, it's unlimited. Really? And then he goes on to tell a parable of an unjust servant. Now, this servant owed his uh, a man a huge amount of money, and he couldn't pay it. And so he comes and pleads before the man, please don't exact your judgment on me. Release me. And, and the guy does. Writes it off. Bad debt. Just 
cancels it. This guy gets up, goes out, finds somebody who owes him a few cents, and beats the man, you know? Give this back. Well, the others looking around say, that's not fair. This just isn't right. And, and so the story's told, you know, we need to be willing to forgive others because of the amount that we've been forgiven. It says, should you have not had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you. That's what the, the master says. And then Jesus at the end of this says, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So it is a, a really big deal. Going back to the Lord's Prayer, again, I keep hammering on this because it has been so important in my life. I've learned the Lord's Prayer as a form. You know, you can say it in 20 seconds or less. But I, if I'm struggling with how to pray, I walk through the, the keys of that thing. And one of them is, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, or forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, whatever translation you read. So in that, there's this awareness that we have been forgiven, we forgive others. And so to me, it's like that daily just walking through and just kind of taking care of the filth of the day. Is that the measure of who I am? No. Have I transformed? Yes. But am I continuing to be transformed? Absolutely. And so as these things come up, you know, I, I walk through that and, and uh, it says, Jesus goes back and visits this at the end of that prayer and says, uh, for if you forgive others for the wrongs they do to you, your Father in heaven will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And so that becomes essential to us in living in Christ, right? Now I want to go back to the Old Testament for just a bit. We'd been walking through Exodus and the readings, and I saw something this week that I hadn't seen before. When they're building the tabernacle, this is the place that they'll worship. It's transportable, so they can go from place to place. They have an outer court, and then there's more of an inner court where sacrifices are made. And then there's this place called the Holy of Holies. And not anybody could go in there, as was mentioned earlier, one day a year, they would have this Day of Atonement, and the high priest would go in, and it was a, a fairly complex thing. And they would sprinkle blood on this mercy seat for forgiveness for the people so God would not deal with their sin or, or crush them, so to speak. But it was called the mercy seat. And it was to be where the presence of God was. It was to, there were cherubim on each side, and it sat over the ark. It was the cover of the ark, so to speak. In the ark were the Ten Commandments that had been chiseled out of stone, the manna and the, and the Aaron's rod, which in some ways represented the law. It represented God's provision with the manna. It represented the authority of humanity. But it was all under the presence of God in this mercy place. 
where he dwelt. The question that came to mind was, why was it called mercy? This judgment seat, you know, where God sat and gave his, his directives and such. Why would you use one word to define it? And that word would be mercy. You begin to get a glimpse of how important this concept is in our interaction with God. Even though it was, it was this idea of the holiness of God that nobody just rushes in, you have this, this place that is called the judgment seat or, or where God gives his mandates and he, he makes declaration about things, and yet it is also called the mercy seat. Let's go back to that definition. Compassion or forgiveness shown to someone within whom it's its power to punish or harm. So they come and, and it's God's right to punish them. It's God's right to say, you owe me payment for this sin. But it's God's all, it's his right also to say, I choose to show mercy. I choose to bring you back into full fellowship with me. I choose to release this debt. I choose to let you come into this place of judgment and I say, canceled. So that's the picture that we're given. And this term mercy, it wasn't, you know, it, it isn't term power seat. It's not termed always right seat. It's not, you know, it, it doesn't carry these other, it's not the holy seat. It's the mercy seat. Because there's this recognition that when I come to God, He is willing to provide mercy for my life and bring me into fellowship and restoration of relationship with Him. It's a powerful, powerful idea. He says, I will meet you and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I give you in commandment for the people of Israel. Now here's where it gets intriguing to me. We know that Old Testament, even in the, the temple and the, or the tabernacle and such, they are all a shadow of things to come. There's an imagery connected to them. God's complex enough that he could put things in place that would point to something else, the fullness of something else. So when Mary Magdalene goes to the tomb to take care of the body of Jesus, what does she encounter? Do you remember? Two angels. One at the head, one at the foot. The mercy seat and the two cherubim surrounding the presence of God. The tomb, in a sense, became the holy place where the sacrifice was put, saying, we need peace with God. So Jesus, in a sense, takes that very place, fulfills that whole picture. The law points to Jesus but it is not the fullness of what was to come. 
the, the provision of God, the manna, the bread of life, it's, it's there in that place, but it, it's not the fullness of the bread of life that we encounter in Christ. The authority given to Jesus over all things. It's in the box. It's a picture, but it doesn't carry the fullness of what is accomplished through Christ. Given a name above all names. So, you know, in that, we begin to see that mercy has been carried through. So this Old Testament picture of people going, God is holy, thankfully he's with us. This is what makes us unique, that their God is with them. But we recognize that, that our own sinfulness, it, 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 just, it clashes with holiness all the time. And yet, what's carried over in the New Testament is that through Christ, we have the opportunity to have this cleanses, cleansing become a part of us. Romans 11 says this, all people have disobeyed God, and that's why he treats them as prisoners. You know, they're worthy of judgment, right? But he does this so that he can have mercy on all of them. He says all of us are in that same boat. There's a need for mercy, and yet that's what Jesus offers. There's a, a, a passage that follows that, and I want to read this. Because Paul, when he comes to that point, he's going, this is so amazing. Who can measure the wealth and wisdom and knowledge of God? Who can understand his decisions or explain what he does? Has anyone known the thoughts of the Lord or given him advice? Has anyone learned something that the Lord must be repaid? Everything comes from the Lord. All things were made because of him and will return to him. Praise the Lord forever. Man, what an incredible thing. So when we walk through life and we're this redeemed people, we're still, we're still recognizing that there's a certain measure of filth of the day that he washes off of us. You know, for me, I, I, I'm looking at it and going, some of the things that he's pointing out to me in life at this moment are things that have been a part of my life virtually since I was a child. And yet he, he brings it and says, now's the time I want to deal with this. And he points it out with a clarity that I can't refuse. And yet I know that for me to move forward and to walk into fullness of health that he desires for me, I need to abandon some of that. I need to let it go. And sometimes it's even with issues like forgiveness, where you're going, that wrong has, has been a, a burr in my life for years. And in the Lord, he brings it to us and says, well, I've released you. Now you release them. And I can't explain it, but it happens. I don't understand how one day it doesn't sting anymore. You know, it's like that bee 
fluttering around inside of your life and you're afraid it's going to hit the wall because when it does, it's going to sting. And then suddenly it's just like the stinger's been pulled. The memory's there, but it's, it's not painful any longer. I don't get it, but I, I know it happens. I, uh, we're going to enter into communion, but I, I want to, as we get set up, if we can play it, there's a song that was significant, and I'll, I'll set it up this way. It's significant for my life. Uh, most of you weren't even living yet. This is, <laughs> this is about 1996. Um, yeah. The previous millennium. Uh, I was... I was at a crisis point of faith. I'm, I was 41. And uh, found out Char was pregnant. You've heard this story. Uh, but we were working as hard as we could possibly work. We were doing everything we could. And suddenly it was just like the wheels fell off the wagon. I mean, we just were not expecting this. And uh, it was like, how are we going to deal with this? We're already overwhelmed. And I began to doubt the sovereignty of God. I'm going, and I'm preaching every week, but in my heart, there's this battle going on. How could God have planned this? Where is God in this moment? You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling with these issues. And in a miraculous way, God brought us to what I call revival meetings. I, I, I don't care what term you put with them. Down in Brownsville, Florida, uh, through circumstances that showed God's sovereignty in ways that go way beyond our ability to orchestrate. And uh, there was a, a man who had been a student of ours who was, on a Father's Day, had gone in to speak for his friend, and just things broke out. And we went to visit it, and... I saw 500 people run to the front when an altar call was given. Didn't know that could happen in the U.S. And then a second call was given, and another couple hundred probably went forward. This happened night after night after night. They'd run four or five nights a week. This went on for years. Well over 100,000 people affected by it. So a significant thing. But... I'm selfish enough to say I don't really care about those numbers. What I care was that it, it turned my life. When I was in a crisis moment, God spoke to me in a way that transformed me and put me back on track. I couldn't have done it on my own, but he did it for me. And it used to be that for years when I'd speak about this, I'd start crying. Couldn't help it because it was so significant for my life. And uh, that said, in these meetings, there was a, a teenage girl, young teenager, that uh, sang a song, and they said, there's anointing on this thing, and she needs to, please do it again. Well, she, she sang this almost every night for five years. And it was called the Mercy Seat. And the idea is come running for mercy. 
and if if it's available, we'll play it. Otherwise, the lyrics are up there. But the first, the, this is our friend Steve Hill. Anyway, as soon as the music starts for this song, you run to the Lord for mercy. He will not turn you down tonight. You run to the Lord. Don't look around. Don't wait. Don't let the devil sit on your lap. Hop up and you come to Jesus right now. Right now. Get up right now. Don't wait on anybody else. In the dark. Come on. Where everything is unknown. I face the power.
affects me. <laughs> Part of the reason I'm here is because of that. Because um, I went home committed to seeing things like this. And uh, those meetings, there was an intensity there, very hard to describe. I lost several hours that night, that first night. Um, didn't, just didn't know where they went. At midnight, they would flash the lights on and off, asking people to go home. When they had first started, they used to go all night long. They just said, we can't do this. But uh, that said, his mercy is here and available today. And there may be some things that you're carrying. It may be sin that you're going, I don't know. I, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't. He knows that. He's made provision. There may be issues where you're going, I don't know how to release this person. They've wounded me deeply. And there's opportunity to have that released. And so I, I just, I'm going to pray now and then ask for God's mercy in this place. We're so grateful that even Thousands of years ago, you set things up so we'd understand that you love us and that even though our sin separates us from you, you have made provision for us to be restored in you. And we ask for restoration this morning. Restoration of our lives, restoration of relationships the cleansing of confronting the sin and having it absolved. We thank you that you do that. We thank you for the work of Jesus Christ shedding blood for our sin that we might be set free. We rejoice in your salvation today. Amen. In this, Lord, we thank you again that you wash away our sin. We thank you that you cleanse us of the wounds encountered through life. You set us free in you by your mercy. Amen. If you would like to, since you want for mercy, in an act of God, I'm reaching out to you. If you'd like prayer that way, come forward, please. Um, some of you may need to go talk to someone. Some of you may need to say, I need help. Find someone that you trust to pray with you. But let's just allow this to, to have its work. There's, there's one thing that I've become very conscious of in the last years is that when God speaks, I need to respond. When this moment is here, the time to take care of it is now. Not to let anything else like pride say, well, I don't know what people think if I do. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Take care of the issues now when he's speaking to your heart. I pray for God's blessing on you. What will remain is open-ended worship. I just encourage you. Let's continue in prayer as God will speak to us. May your blessing rest on these, your people. May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy what mercy means. And I ask, Lord, as each one goes into the community, that you give them words of life to speak over others.
you enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom, that you'll gift them with the supernatural. Be lifted up and exalted, our Lord, we pray. We love you this day. Amen. God bless you.